this is Jennifer Perkins, and you are listening to the Creative Queso Podcast. Each week, I talk with a different guest about the business of being creative and the creativity behind running a business. Sometimes I really hone in and pick a guest's brain. I'm no stranger to event promotion, having co-produced one of Austin's largest craft and fashion shows called Stitch for several years. However, I am a bit out of practice, and that is where today's guest comes in. Hosting an event can be a great addition to your brand and business, but don't underestimate all the hard work that goes into them, like months of it, depending on the size. Today, I am chatting with Ashlyn Viscosi, the woman behind Austin's Creative Meets Business Experience. Three days full of hands-on workshops and a different spin on the traditional model of professional development. The woman calls CMBXP an experience for a reason. Putting on a successful shindig is a lot of work, but lucky you, Ashland is here to hold your hand and offer lots of stellar advice. Before Creatives Meet Business, she cut her event planning teeth working with the Austin Film Festival and the ATX Television Festival. Today we cover all the nuances of working with sponsors, realistic expectations of timelines, and the nitty-gritty of things a host needs to think about before, during, and after an event. If you are thinking about hosting a pop-up, open mic, craft class, networking event, or even your own three-day creative business development experience, this episode of Creative Queso is for you. All right, all you aspiring event planners, listen up. All right, Ashlyn, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to chat. Good. I am, I, like I said, I, I had a technical difficulty. My questions got deleted. So I'm going to, I'm going to lean on you. I figure as we go, I'm going to have lots of questions. <laughs> okay, perfect. So I'm going to, I'm going to need you to be verbose for me. You got it. Not a problem. I, I've never been called short-winded, so. Right, fine. exactly. <laughs> and I don't have that problem either. So the two of us, we're going to make podcast babbling magic, I bet. <laughs> so, you know, the first things I wanted to ask you is like, why was it important for you to, quote, introduce creatives to business? Yeah, so it really comes from a lot of different places, but I am a native Austinite. I left and lived other places, but I've now been back almost 10 years. And just the things that are happening here are happening everywhere, where cities are becoming, uh, I mean, I guess more populated. I don't really know a better way to frame it. And especially Austin is becoming increasingly and incredibly more popular. But what has always defined it is its creative spirit. Austin has always been known live music capital of the world. Uh, We actually just have all these different monikers and things assigned to Austin. And it's great that we're known for our creativity, but that is the community most impacted by all of the rapid state of change that we have with more technology coming, with more people finding this to be a more affordable lifestyle for themselves, say, leaving New York or California or what have you. And that's ultimately great. The more people, the merrier, if they like what Austin's all about and want to come and contribute to what makes it Austin, awesome. But then how do we still keep our makers making Austin what it is and keep them here so that they don't have to leave and go elsewhere? We want to be able to keep and support and make that a viable career as it always had been. Okay. Yeah. So what kinds of things do you find that, because I've said this for a long time that I feel like a lot of creatives are lacking in the business side of things. Like when I was a full-time jewelry designer, I would often say like there are people that make way better jewelry, more beautiful, more elaborate, more, you know, skillfully made than me, but they just aren't maybe necessarily as good at the business slash marketing side of things. Is that kind of a big component of your business and event? Oh, yeah, definitely. Like if we're talking specifically about the experience, which is my big three-day piece of programming in September, I mean, that's two entire tracks, one expressly on business and then one on marketing. Because, yeah, it, it's a, it doesn't really how to frame it exactly. Uh, whether or not you're good at your craft is pretty irrelevant if somebody is willing to buy it. So you ultimately mm-hmm. have to be putting yourself out there. And so it is that key piece is seeing yourself as a business. You don't have to have expansion plans and be the Kendra Scott of the world and having billion dollar valuations and things so long as even if it's just you and it's a boutique or lifestyle business, 
thinking of it in that way so that you make better and longer term strategic decisions. It is really, yeah, the framing of it, just like that act alone and seeing it as a business, not just your creative medium and outlet, but the way in which you want to make your living helps you to better make decisions and then put yourself out appropriately. Mm -hmm. And I think people too sometimes need to remember that they're two separate things. It's okay if you want to have a craft or a passion project and you don't want it to be a business, but if you want it to make, you know, be what you make a living on, then that's a whole different yeah, but also like being clear, knowing that thing, because there is that notion too of if you happen to make a living from what you do, you are an air quote sellout. But that really came to terms in what, like the late 1800s with the book La Boheme, which turned into Rent and Moulin Rouge and other different ways that we've seen the starving artists portrayed, right? But that was really just a byproduct of one person who it wasn't working out for. And then that was the lifestyle in which, you know, they found themselves living. Like Michelangelo was actually wildly successful, uh, especially monetarily. And he helped create what was formerly like artists in that time period were just tradesmen. And then he made that an elevated craft and it made it an elevated position of power where you actually like had significance in society because of how he had positioned himself so strongly to say like, this is how artists should be treated. Hmm. Yeah, I know. It's 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 pretty fascinating. It's a brief history lesson. Yeah. Yeah. He would have been in today's terms, like a multimillionaire. Crazy because you always, like you said, you always hear about the starving artists or people exactly. that you know became so successful after their death. Exactly. No, but he so. was successful in life. Yeah, he was very successful. He was very frugal though and acted like he had no money, but in truth, he was a multimillionaire. Looks like Warren Buffett. Yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. He's been driving the same car yeah. for how long? Yeah, in the same house in uh, what exactly. is it, Omaha, Nebraska? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's pretty he's fascinating. Like a Warren Buffett. <laughs> but no, I but like it is it. it is that idea though. Like exactly to your point earlier, it's that that hustle piece. And not saying hustle is all of it, but knowing what it is that you're trying to do and try to build, and then separating it out between no, this is just my hobby, and it's something I like doing, and I like to blow off steam, and it's fun to. Um, maybe be a ceramicist and you enjoy doing that on the weekend and you don't want to monetize it. Great. Nobody is saying that you have to, but there is the difference between this being something that is fulfilling to me as a hobby and this being something that I want to spend my life doing and I want to be able to make a living from it. Yeah. And you just need to, you need to define that clearly right from the get. Exactly. Yeah. So for creatives, me business. Have you always had the experience portion of it or was that a later edition? It was a later edition. So the roundtables had happened first. They all started in 2016 and then the podcast came pretty quickly after. So the podcast is Creative to Meet Business Podcast. It is content from my small group roundtable events. So if you miss them or you're not Austin-based, phenomenal, you have access to that information. It just lives on the podcast and it's free and available. The experience came about in 2017, and it's going into its third year this September. Okay, awesome. Yeah. So at what point, because, you know, I know a lot of people go through this mental struggle of like, I've got this thing, it's happening, you know, it's great, and I think it would make a good event that people Mm -hmm. would want to buy tickets for. So, like, what were the kind of the things that tipped you off? Like, you know, I should really make this into this, like, full-blown event as opposed to smaller roundtables type thing. Yeah, totally. And that wasn't even, I wouldn't say that it was necessarily like an audience coming up to me and being like, Ooh, you should be doing this. We would love a conference. It was actually, so I've been with the ATX television fest for multiple years, not year round, just when it comes time for the festival, I'm probably like six weeks. No, it's more like a month out and then through the festival. Uh, So with them, I've coordinated sponsor relationships for about six years uh, background in all kinds of random event production and in different things like two degrees in political science. And like, it's, it's very random. It's just like this random little grab bag of stuff. Uh, but then I also was the director of programming. I don't think we called it that at the time. I think we came to it in the second year and then the event producer behind social media week when it first came to Austin, I did that for two years. So it was the day after that had come to an end. And those are, like in the events world, I mean, I was not even joking, not hyperboliding at all. Sometimes I tend to hyperbolate a little bit. So this is like an honest, true number, 18 hour to 20 hour days, right? Uh, leading up to it for a couple of weeks. Yeah, very limited sleep, uh, running around. I, I, if I had a Fitbit, the amount of steps I would have gotten, I'm sure it was like it would have broken the device, right? Uh, but it was the day after it and the first thought, like a a rational, logical person who's this incredibly sleep deprived, first of all, wouldn't be driving. 
And second of all, they wouldn't be thinking, interesting, you know what's pretty fascinating is I keep helping other people grow and develop their dream, but not my own. And I have my own company already. I have my own event series I'm doing. Why am I not applying that same energy that I give to other people to my own endeavors? And so in that same drive, like I had the thought, it just like hit me out of nowhere. And as I was driving, just continuing on to the meeting I was going to, I'd already figured out, okay, so I think this will be a good time of year. I want it to be collaborative. I want to bring in different partners. I think these are the right programming tracks. I like the three-day format. So by the time I'd parked, I already had concepted it out. And this would have been March 1st of 2017. Uh, so by the end of like that drive, I then got excited about it and made it come reality in September. So you basically were not even paying attention to that meeting because your mind was like other places. <laughs> no, I actually you were, like, was. You were nodding. Like, yeah. No, I was, I was very involved in that meeting, actually. It was more like little like random tears. It was a mastermind. Uh, so it was oh, okay. also sharing like, I just had this idea in the car. What do you think? Thank you all so much for your help. Well, tears. It was a lot of emotion. <laughs> yeah. Again, product of no sleep for multiple weeks. Girl, I know. I used to do a big event here in Austin. I, re I remember those days after, like, <sighs> oh my God. And then like the blues that you get, I just, I don't even know what to call it except like post-festival blues. Like I, what oh, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like what I presume is happening is it's some like evolutionary holdover of like fight or flight stimuli or something, just like saving itself in your body. And you do all of those crazy weeks, crazy hours, especially during the event where you have to answer this question, answer that, this, that, this, that. It's all so quick and so immediate that when it's over and nobody needs anything, you get like this depression of like, but, but wait, there were so many questions to be asked and now my inbox isn't doing anything. Ah. Right. And you like don't know what to do with yourself for several days because you're so used to that just momentum. You know. No, it is. It, it's like postpartum. Yeah. I feel that way, like after Halloween and Christmas. Like, what am I going to do? What am I going to decorate for? Exactly. I Easter know. can't get here fast enough. Yeah, I totally. It's like, how do we feel about St. Patrick's Day, Valentine's exactly. Day? <laughs> Girl, I have decorated for it. But no, I know what you mean. You're just suddenly like, even one little like random spam email. You're like, what? Exactly. Hello? It's like, should I reply? Did you want twenty thousand dollars out of this Nigerian bank account? Okay, sure. I've got nothing else going on. Right. I'm headed to CVS to get those cards for you right now. God. So, you know, really with an event, there's not a whole lot of downtime. No. You know, uh -uh. as I know from experience, so how far in advance do you start planning? Yeah, yes. Yeah. So I would, yeah, exactly as you said, there's really no downtime, but I would frame it more as like what is happening in these certain periods of time. Like this is my programming mode. This is logistics and operations mode. This is event marketing mode, that kind of thing, where they each have their own amount of time that are needed to, to do everything. So I actually don't do any sort of like open solicitation, call for speakers. I don't do anything like that. It's all just curate. I, I curate it all. I go and find it and invite the people and it's invitation only type thing. So I actually, we're going into 2019 in September, but I'm already working on my list now for 2020, but I will really hit that pretty hard. I'd say probably more like... February, January, because nobody's going to pay attention after about October to December. Like it's going to be holiday mode and it's just simply too far out. But I really begin that pretty hardcore in February. I like to be fully locked with it by April, even though I don't announce what the programming is till June. So I'm usually done a couple months out. So that's the first thing you do is you book the speakers. I find the, to, like, the venue. No, no, I'm a venue first all the time. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so for years one and two, which was 2017 and 2018, I was over in the same uh, area over on East Cesar Chavez and I was maintaining the same venues. This year we've outgrown them. So that's a, a great new problem to have and have better bathrooms, which I'm incredibly thrilled about. <laughs> Bath bathrooms matter so much. And they events. really do. <laughs> like, yeah, you wouldn't think so, but they totally do. Um, I did lose my train of thought thinking about bathrooms because that's exactly how excited I am about having new ones. Uh, oh yeah, so moving to new venues. So I am a venue first. I need to know the box and the container that things can happen inside of so that I can program accordingly. So in the first couple of years since I had the venue uh, lined up for the second year from basically the same ones from the first year. That part was easy and it was just pulling them back on board again. This time though, uh, all new venues over in Springdale General, multiple venues over there, I would have had those booked. It was November that I was trying to book with all of them. So I venue, okay. then program. 
Okay, that makes sense. I can see. Plus, then you know, like, how many speakers and how many things you can have. Exactly. Exactly. So I like to do four tracks plus a mentorship track. So that means I need four venues. Well, five. Four venues for the uh, programming and then a fifth for the mentorship. So being okay. able to find that where it's walkable and close and you park your car once and you don't have to worry about all that other stuff. And then how do you handle, when it comes to speakers, I know you said you hand, you curate it yeah. as opposed to having people apply. I, you know, I, I know we did this when I did, my event was like a craft oh, yeah. thing. But, you know, I know lots of people that run events and they come up against this thing that there's the people that want to do it every year because they love being an instructor. Yeah. And then there, there's some people that come to the event every year and love taking those classes, but then there's also people that want fresh content. Exactly. Yeah. Every year. So how do you deal with that without like we're keeping it fresh and not hurting feelings yeah and keeping old standbys it's a tricky dance yeah no it is it's definitely a dance that's the best word for it because it is like oh who's gonna leave who's gonna follow right now what are we gonna do here uh so what i like to do actually is i i had put this artificial weird rule on myself at the top of the year at the at the end of last year which would have been last september i had this artificial rule that if people had done two years they had to have a pause year and then I was, and again, it is about allowing for new voices, right? But then I realized, well, wait a second. Um, oh, let me actually add some extra context that, that's helpful. I love feedback enormously. And I try to give everybody all the platforms in the world in which to tell me their thoughts and opinions. Uh, so I always survey after the event. And then people tell me multiple different ways who their favorite guides, I use guide, not speaker, who their favorite guides were or what were the workshops that stood out to them the most or what did they learn the most from and then in looking at that data, those are the people I will invite back is if they got uh, really high marks as far as being like really engaging and really interactive and approachable and easy to talk with. And then they were informed and knowledgeable, things like that. So I looked to that data and like what they were like to work with. Did they prepare in advance? Did they just phone it in sort of day of that type of thing? So I look at all that data and then from it invite back just a handful of people. I actually only have about 25% of people returning. So then I want to be able to create, yeah, yeah. But I want to be able to create a space exactly as you mentioned for new voices and for new content. But at the same time, keep those people who are making it special and they're part of why people keep coming back, giving them again a platform as long as they want to have it so that they can keep connecting and providing value back. But yeah, but then it's a a tricky thing. It is tricky. Yeah. But whenever I also say that, like, I don't have an open call process or anything like that. I love it when people come to me and they have ideas like, oh, this could be a great workshop. Would you be interested in chatting? Whatever. 100% I'm always interested in chatting. Uh, Typically, people don't reach out to me early enough and I've already actually programmed everything. So I always feel like putting it out there, like I will talk with anybody and see if it feels like a fit. And if it doesn't, I would be able to explain like why. It's like, ah, we don't really kind of do things like that anymore or... Uh, if you can tweak this here and here, I think it'd be great to include. So like, I always want to be able to have that opportunity for people to know they can be part of it. Just, you know, when to reach out is a different question. So how many out of your event, how many, what's the percentage of like return students and new students? Yeah, that. I guess you have to take that into consideration. Yeah, that's a hard one to answer, uh, largely because a lot of people, I don't know if it's just Austin. I don't think it is, but we do have this issue here where people wait to the last minute to make a purchasing decision just because there's there's so many things you could go and do and therefore it's more like, ooh, I don't want to hamstring myself and pick the wrong thing. So they wait basically till the week of. So just looking back, I used to be a research analyst and ran a lot of numbers and things for past jobs. So I love getting my hands dirty in Excel and spreadsheets. Uh, so I have, yeah, I love it. So I have a lot of different analytics I run and things. And so looking at past year's data, I always sell about 30% of my total badges the week of. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's it's fascinating because you would think like a three-day commitment, you'd probably have a little bit more time in between to purchase, but yeah, people tend to wait till the last minute. Uh, so one thing that I do, though, is if you attended, uh, say for 2018, for example, if you were at the 2018 experience, you had a one-week window in which to buy the deepest discounted ticket that will ever be available one week after. And then other than that, you cannot buy a badge again until April when they go back on sale. So I know all those people are returning because they, you know, bought a badge in a certain time. So I would say like, as of right now, we're probably at about 38% of people returning, but I won't really fully know till September. 
Inter- well, I mean, I wanted to go into ticket sales yeah. next because that's obviously, you know, a big part of any event, whether you're selling it or you're just a free yeah, totally. thing. Um, so I love the idea of doing the deep discount right, yeah. like right yeah. after the event. I've right some other things like Mom 2.0 did that. And some other things like what about also like the timing of like early bird pricing and things like that? How does that play in for someone trying to host an event? Yeah, totally. Uh, So I do early bird pricing. Uh, Really, I think this was the, the first year that I've largely tried to use that as more of an incentive to buy early. So whenever I put tickets back live in April, you have until I believe it was like June 26th. I'm blanking on the date now. But whatever day it was that I announced the programming, you had to buy your badge the night before. And once programming goes live, the cost increases. So that was one way to help, you know, if they trusted the programming from years past, this is a way to save $50 that you will lose the opportunity to do so come the announcement of the programming. I'm a big fan of early birds. Uh, I do not like putting discount codes on social media and things. I'm fine with them being shared in more discreet fashion. But if you have an early bird price, you can then leverage that later to try to get different community groups or organizations to help you share the word by offering them a discount. So in the case of the experience, the full bad price is $249. Early bird had been $199. So for different groups and partners to share with their audience, I'll give them the early bird rate again, which also helps with badge sales as we get through, you know, until we get to September when a lot of people will make their decisions. Interesting. Yeah, but I also like, so one thing too about like why I line things up the way I line it up, like why it's, you know, in April is when tickets go up on sale and then June isn't the programming, all that. So to have all of the programming logistics like fully done by June, actually, I mean, it's basically fully done by April. It allows me all that time from realistically June till September to event market. So I I think you need a solid, depending on the size of the event, ticketed, if it's 20 people versus 2000 people, that type of thing. I, to have 350 people, strongly need that three-month period for promotion. And it, I try to make that the only thing I'm really doing in those three months. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely key. Yeah. Like, you can have the most amazing thing in the world, and if you don't have it, if, you know, if it's not in the ear of the right people, then... Exactly. And it's getting so much harder to keep finding and reaching audiences because, like, algorithms change on Instagram and all those things that are just unforeseeable and unknown and you just cannot fully control. So if you do give yourself enough time, like I think the number one uh, problem that people have in the event world is they don't put their ticketing or their marketing up soon enough. And it might be say uh, an event that's in two weeks or a week and they're just now for the first time sharing a Facebook event or something like that. So they don't give enough time and really honor and recognize how much of a uh, a push event marketing actually is like it is very hard to get butts in seats and to reach audiences so factoring in a lot of time to do so is very helpful in a planning process yeah you definitely you need to have a strong timeline yeah yeah de- and having a timeline in the first place i think uh it, it seems like it's one of those things that's just easy like oh, it would be easy to sell 50 tickets that, that shouldn't be hard it's like oh no 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 it's it, it is a process to get people to first of all be free that night Second of all, be interested in what it is that you're doing. Third, have the money to do so, that it's not up against something else that they want to come in to attend, and that you have found them and reached them. So you've got so many hurdles that you're trying to accommodate for. Have that out with time so you can ultimately find that audience better. Yeah, there's a lot of boxes to be ticked. A lot of boxes, yeah. So you need to remember that. Well, with, you know, with the... Promotion, what do you think is the most helpful for someone trying to promote event? You know, I just did the caftans and queso, for instance. Yeah, yeah. Which, is, which isn't a paid thing. It's a free thing, obviously. But um, what do you think most behooves you and other event planners, like media engagements, like things like being on the news, or I know you're speaking yeah. at Boss Babes, or you're here, yeah. or like paid advertising, or like word of mouth. I know sometimes like when I did Stitch, you know, I often tell people that are putting on an event, like let's say we were – we had one space for someone who made purses, right? Mm, and yeah. both of them made very similar purses, but one of the girls had 10,000 people on her newsletter and was very active on social media. And the other girl, even though her purses were just as good, didn't do any of that. Yeah. You know, I would, we would choose the other girl because she could help us get the word exactly. out more. So yeah. what, what do you think the most important parts of 
all that kind of yeah. stuff is. There's so many different parts. So I would really be thinking about like, do you have a budget at all? Right. So presuming there's a budget and then we'll talk about like sponsorships and media partnerships and all that. Right. Mm-hmm. So if there's any budget at all, it is really about knowing your audience, right? Like, are they on Facebook? Are they on Instagram? Uh, maybe it makes sense to do something with say like a local, like alt weekly, like the Austin Chronicle here in Austin, for example, uh, area newspapers, television. Like I'm actually in chats right now with Grande Communications for a media trade. So I could actually have aired commercials during a certain window of time. I'll also be investing in KUT. So we're doing a whole campaign that's really toward the end of September, not the end of September, it's before the event, but like really close starting on the September 9th. And then my event is the 19th through 21. It's a very, very tight window to spend a lot of time on radio. So it's figuring out if you do have a budget, you're going to spend for marketing. Where do you want to spend that? That's going to have the most effect. Like, do you want to be able to measure it? Because then something like social media actually might make the most sense. But if your audience is, say, 18-year-olds, they're probably not on Facebook. It might be something like TikTok or Snapchat or different things like that. So first, knowing where your audience is and figuring out where you should invest. I also do print pieces. So I do print collateral, uh, the partnerships I've already mentioned, media partnership, uh, which includes you know print advertisements and things like that. Uh, something that I think anybody could start doing that's the the free option and and being mindful of course about asking you know friends and different community groups and whatever but just trying to have other community groups or people that are well connected help share the word but if you do that give them all the information they'll need give them sample copy give them graphics give them enough time don't send them like let's say you're announcing your programming tomorrow at 10 a.m do not email them the night before and ask, hey, we're doing this at 10 a.m., can you join? Because who knows what their content calendar looks like. Give people time and the ability to map it out in a way that makes sense, where they can best support you, but also offering, hey, what can I help support in the future for you? So it really is much more about being a collaborator and not just always asking for things from groups to help share and post and what have you. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, Yeah. a lot of people I don't think take into consideration their their target audience. You know, the, the... demographic or the age or you know all those kinds of things and like you said it's all makes a big difference on where you should put your money and your time yeah totally yeah because i mean you've got newsletters you've got print i mean there's just so many different ways that you can get the word out oh another thing that's that's free and people should be doing if they're not doing it is um like a lot of different like in austin for example culture map austin chronicle um, Austin Creative Alliance. It's now playing Austin. There's a lot of other ones. Uh, Austin 360. I'm blanking on some of the other ones. Uh, but you can submit your event for their calendar listing, like Eastside mm-hmm. Magazine. So that is a free way to be able for them to perhaps, if you don't have PR and you're not trying, oh, we'll go back and talk about the speaking thing. I forgot that that was part of your question earlier. <laughs> Um, so with the calendar listings, it's a potentially a way to be included in newsletters that might go out from the Austin Chronicle, or if they have a calendar of events up on their website, like Austin Woman, Austin Monthly, they'll have a calendar. It's a free way to be included that is not that much time, really, if you think about it. Just have your copy drafted, short paragraph, maybe about like six to eight sentences with all the relevant info. Use that same information across the board on all of them. And then just that is an easy way, about an hour, two hours of your time to hopefully get in front of a lot more people. Yeah, that's a good tip. Good tip. Yeah. And then to your point, though, about the like speaking at things and being on the radio and news and all that stuff. Um, in the past, I've had PR partners, but this year I actually I do my own PR. Uh, so one thing that I like to do that's actually really helpful uh, and helps a lot of different bloggers or people who run who run blogs is offering to write a guest blog post. And at the very bottom of it, it'll be not about the experience. It'll be about you know something else or it might be tangentially about it. Uh, but at the bottom, you could spend maybe about a sentence or two talking about your event. So it's a way that you can promote it, but you've added value to, to contributors and they can help you know, share the word. And it's really nicely in alignment. Oh, I love that. That's yeah. a great idea. Yeah. Totally. You know, another thing that you do that kind of, and I'm assuming you, it's a two for one, like people will get benefit from it, yeah. but it also helps promote your event that you're doing that I think is really smart is you're doing these kind of small pop-up events like speaker events, like at the Riveter yeah, and stuff, yeah. like leading up to it, which I think is like a really clever, but, and you know, and I had a great time at the speaking event I went to, oh, so good. you know, it's a two for one special. So <laughs> yeah. that's a really clever 
Thank you. Yeah, I wish I could actually say that that was my idea. It was not. Uh, so something that I do, I think, which is really, really unique in the conference space. And I don't actually call my event a conference, but it it mostly is. So if it's called that, I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. I'm really trying to help change the way in which adults can learn and change our relationship with conference because it tends to have a certain connotation and we, we read something into it. And I'm trying to say like, no, it's professional development differently. Like it is a mm-hmm. fun way to learn and connect. It is not what you think it's going to be. And it is. It is fun. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, so with where that idea came from, I do something called a guide retreat day where I bring in all the guides. It's not mandatory. It's just strongly encouraged because who knows what have you know, people have things going on in their life. And so if they can't attend, that's fine. Uh, but I actually do a professional development day for them. So I help guides connect with each other and it helps me in a bunch of different ways. It helps me twofold. One, they now know the audience better because I lead a workshop about who is this audience? What do they find successful? And again, what I talked about earlier with feedback, anything that is shared with me as feedback, I incorporate and help other guides learn that for the future. Like, oh, they notice if this thing, this thing, this thing, oh, white font was really hard to read. So let's be mindful about the font color we use, all that type of thing help train them in that, but then also give them professional development opportunities so they can grow as speakers. So during last year's, one of the guides who attended, I was just asking for like, hey, does anybody have any ideas, ways I can get the word out that I'm not already doing, what have you? And it was she, and this was August, so there wasn't enough time. uh, Her name is Alexis Davis. She's a social media marketer and she's brilliant on Instagram. She's doing a workshop again this September. So her idea was like, do a pop-up event. It's like, I will next year. There's not time to do that now, but like brilliant idea. You got it, lady. So it's often, often just really, or oftentimes being open to what other people have as suggestions and how to bring those in to keep making my stuff better. Like I know like it's, it's good, but it becomes great because of the input of other people. Yeah, no, that's an amazing thing is to not underestimate not just the feedback from the guests, but the other, you know, the speakers and the participants and the sponsors and all those people like... Take it all in. Exactly. And then what makes sense to include, include it. If something is out of alignment with uh, the vision or the values or the brand, don't include those things because it would compromise. Like I had one person, uh, it was anonymous. I keep feedback always anonymous. Who was just like, ah, just call your guide speakers. I was like, no, no, I actually just disagree with you. Because like the idea is a guide is somebody who you're on a nature walk and you're looking at grasshoppers and they're teaching you all about what you're looking at. But then they sit at lunch with you and you have a conversation about everything and they become part of your community, not somebody who has the, you know, the ring kissed and then they don't really, they, the only people they can talk to at the event are fellow speakers because they're almost ostracized because you don't know what to say to them and how to talk to them. So instead, I really am mindful about vocabulary. So I use guide to say like, no, no, yes, they shared information with you, invite them to lunch and they can actually be part of your network. Like that is the point of all of it is to help people connect in a different way. Oh, I love that because yeah, you sometimes go to events and it's, you know, either you're, like you said, either you're afraid to speak to them or, you know, there's always this kind of disconnect a lot of times between the speakers and the attendees. So that's a great way to bring it together. I like the idea of guides. Thank you. To speak. Thank you. I like it too. Thank I'm going to try to start working it in the vernacular for the rest <laughs> of the episode. <laughs> you're, you're fine. It's, it's okay. don't worry about it. <laughs> not a conference, not speakers. Oh, you're fine. It gets called, it gets called like expo a lot lately. And I think because it's called the experience and then CNDXP. Oh, the exactly. And like everybody, it's so funny to me, like in emails or text messages, whatever, like in written ways, the number of ways it's repeated back to me is never CMBXP, which is what I always call it. It's like CMBX, CMBP, XP. It's like, I know what you're talking about, but like, okay, cool. It has like a life of its own because people had like given it a new name. So it's pretty interesting. That's to me. hilarious. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I always like cyber stalk all my guests before like I interview <laughs> them and listen to other podcasts. Oh, God. And I was listening to you on one. <laughs> well, I thought maybe it was pulled up. It was a publishing house. Oh yeah. Yeah. The Greenleaf book publishing one. Yeah. yeah. And she, one of y'all referred to it in the letter form and you know, and I hadn't really heard it said that way before. And I was like, Oh there it is with all those letters. Like, uh-huh. I hear you. Yeah. <laughs> she said it in a different way than I say it in my head. And I was just like, oh. <laughs> so I want to also touch on sponsorships. Yeah. And totally. in particular, in kind sponsorships. Yeah. Like I know sponsorships can really help an event along. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I would say sponsorships are integral. I would say like sponsors, it's almost like a three tiered system, especially like with conferences, right? You have your speakers. You have your attendees and then you have your sponsors and your partners. 
And like all three of them are important. And it's how do you balance all three in a way that feels authentic to your event? Because some things definitely skew more toward the speaker experience and some more toward the sponsor experience and some more toward the attendee. So I really like to find a way where it's almost like a tripod where all three of them are really in balance and in alignment with each other. So that's something I personally strive for. But depending on the event, it might skew a different way, right? Uh, so with sponsorships, as you mentioned, there's two kinds. There's the cash sponsor and then there's end kind. So for those who don't know, in kind actually means it is product only with no cash. That is a great thing, especially for spirits and alcohol. If you're doing any sort of thing where that's part of the process, typically uh, they will have some form on their website where you can submit and apply for it. You have to be, if you're in Texas, I cannot speak outside of Texas to talk about their liquor laws and things. In Texas, you have to be in an unlicensed venue and then you can accept product. If you're not and you're in a bar, if you're in a place that is licensed to sell alcohol, they have to do something called a buyback. And that is expensive. And most alcohol partners are not going to want to do it unless it makes sense because of the, the size of the event and the attendees and whatever, right? They're very unlikely to do that because it costs them cash. They actually have to pay for their product that is being served. And that is very costly versus just giving you, say, Tito's and just giving you the product. So it is being thoughtful toward that in the first place. If you are trying to go after free spirits, be in something unlicensed so that you can accept that because otherwise it is a big ask to have them pay for every single pour of vodka or whatever it might be. So traditional things that you can get sponsored would be alcohol, food, especially more of like like the kind snacks, like bites like that versus like more full meals because those just have such a high cost from a restaurant, uh, especially so you can find people who are... Um, brand ambassadors, those are great people to talk to about having product. Anytime you're at an event and you see there's like some sort of pop-up, like Chameleon Cold Brew might be at something for, say, Boss Babes, talking to that person who's representing the brand to figure out, hey, how would I be able to get you at my event? We're doing this this thing in November and we're catering to craft and y'all are craft coffee. think this could be a great fit. Who do we talk to? So there's a lot of different categories that can be sponsored and that saves you a ton of money in the end. Media partnership is also another one that I briefly touched on earlier. So I have a media partnership with The Chronicle uh, and then another one with Originator Studios. They're going to be doing this awesome video piece after the fact that I'm pumped about. Uh, and then also things seem to be going well with Grande Communications. So I'm hitting in so many different ways. I'm hitting print publication and digital uh, and then hitting video work, but that would be largely be after the fact and help for next year and future years and things. And then TV with actual produced spots that I had from last year that I can repurpose really well to be proper commercials. Um, so yeah, so with in-kind, like all of those things are possible, but then you have to give them benefits as a sponsor. Usually they don't get the same level as say a cash sponsor. Like if you get, let's say 500, let's say $2,000 in products. Now let me think of a different way to, to frame it where the math makes sense. Typically, if, in, if it's in kind, they get one third the level of recognition as a cash sponsor. Like typically rule of thumb. I, I don't tend to play it exactly that way or, or by that same moniker. That's like industry standard is usually you get a little bit lesser of sponsorship benefit and recognition, but they still need to be treated as a very, depending on the amount of money and, and, and product that's being provided, very, very high level recognition. If it's say $10,000 in free material, they need to be very high billed for it because that stuff ultimately matters in the end and it saves you a ton of money. Okay. Was that, what are those was that kind of, too technical? No, no, that means I'm like Sorry. mentally taking all those notes. It's like you're getting quiet. No, no, no. I'm soaking it all in, all the good info. Oh, nice. You know, what are some of the things that like, I guess, that you you trade back? Like yeah. if you got liquor mm -hmm. and you got food, like I know for us, it would be things like maybe they could have a booth at the event mm -hmm. or maybe they have like an ad in the program or like, what are some things that would you give back to them? Like what's your end of the deal? Yeah, totally. And in a lot of cases, it's actually a phone conversation or I mean, I email exchange, but I prefer phone conversation. What does that brand want? Cause you might be presuming like, Oh, you want an ad? You want to be able to have this kind of exposure? You don't actually know that. Like, uh, in the case of Grande, what we talked about is they actually have uh, scholarships that they provide for nonprofits. And it was like, how do you help get the word out about that? And I would never have known that were it not for the phone conversation that we were having. So actually asking, like, how can we be helpful? Like, what are things that you're hoping to see from us? Right. Uh, spirits, it's pretty typical to have more of a logo on the website. 
always link it to their website, not just have the logo. Uh, you could do like a custom bar menu where the logo's included there and then feature their drink in something. That is usually fine for spirits. You always, like I put like a asterisk, quote, underline, bold, and make it red text. Always hire a professional photographer you will share those photos with after the fact. They're going to ask for it because they're doing sort of recaps for their bosses or top-level brand. Not exactly sure who in their company would need it, but they will typically ask for that. Have good photos. And not just like all of the spirits up at the bar, beautiful bar shot. They have things like that already. They want people drinking it and engaging and having fun so that they can use it on social media. In the same way that all of us are trying to put out content on website and social and, and different things, providing good imagery back that they can use is a huge asset and help for them. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I can't. A lot of people ask me, like, what's the best money you spend every year? And honestly, hiring a professional photographer yeah. all the time. Like, I had one come to caftans and queso yeah. just because now I've got all these beautiful pictures of, exactly. you know, creative business owners and caftans. Exactly. <laughs> to share. No, oh, my God. I want to see some of those. Yeah. They're pretty cute. You'll have to come to the next one. I know. I need to. I was out of town the last one. There'll be more than she wear your yeah. And I would feel guilty, but I was at Disneyland at the Star Wars park. So like um, it was pretty magical. So <laughs> there's no guilt to be had there. <laughs> yeah, my boyfriend made a lightsaber, so like we're we're pretty pumped. Yeah, that sounds pretty fun. Yeah, we're, I'll let we're it Star slide Wars. this time. But yeah, we're a Star Wars household. He has um because I have wildly curly and big hair. Uh, and maybe because he thinks I'm part animal, I'm not exactly sure because I shed a lot. I get to be Chewbacca, so there's a lot of Chewbacca references in the house. <laughs> my nephew, who I the reason I look like warmed over hell is I've been babysitting my four year old nephew, and he's obsessed with Darth Vader, but he calls him Dam. And it's like, who are you gonna be for Halloween? Dam. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, security likes some of the damn. All right. So we've, we've talked about like booking people, booking events, sponsorships, promotion, day of. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you keep things running smoothly? Especially like for you, your event is so like multi-pronged, which I love. Like a good event to me is like circuit training. Like there's a bunch of things happening and doing (laughs) and you can go around because my ADD brain loves that kind of thing. Uh But how do you make sure everything's like running smoothly in all the places you do like interns yeah no no i don't have no assistant no interns actually at all uh so right now uh let's see the best way to frame it um go a little bit personal with it earlier in july terrible thing happened annoying tragedy air quote tragedy it's more of an inconvenience probably than it is a tragedy definitely nobody lost their life or anything um, but in the place where I live with my boyfriend, lived with my boyfriend, a contractor, a maintenance contractor, accidentally stepped through the sprinkler system, which would have been like the fire suppression should the house have caught fire, like an interior sprinkler system. And they doused the inside of the house with 15, it was 1,500 gallons of water, 60 gallons of water at the rate of a minute for 30 total minutes. And it was inside the home. So it, it functionally is raining inside of the house, right? So this past month has been that happening, displacement, into finally on Sunday, we terminated the lease. Our landlord was open to it, frankly suggested it. Uh, we found a new place and we moved in on Sunday. So the whole month of July has been, yeah, it's been, it's been an interesting past month for sure. But anyway, uh, so I posted on Instagram and it was just like the rainy picture of like, oh, house falling in on itself, going to be quiet on Instagram, guys. And that moment where it's like, God, like, what do I do? This is the time that I really spend a lot of my my time and intention around marketing, not being able to really be on Instagram and be present. Like, man, that, that really sucks, right? So whenever I posted that, got so many comments and engagement around people saying, like, well, how can I help? So I said, oh, I should probably listen to that. Like, I should accept it this go around. I definitely can do. So right now I have a guy who's been helping a lot with social media, coming up with graphics, and I come up with copy. And then I've been letting my different guides and partners, like tomorrow, actually, uh, we have for all the guides, artists recreate their headshots. So it's really, really cool. It's on the website if you want to check them out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of the artists is taking over the Instagram tomorrow to talk about his process. So guides have been showing like a day in the life of what to look forward to in their workshop, what they're looking forward to in other people's. 
And the, the response has actually been great because people feel more connected to the experience. They love hearing from the guides. So it was actually like one of those amazing blessing in disguises where I involved people in a different way than I normally would. And then the output and the outcome has actually been like people feeling connected and they get to know the guides better and they want to take something that they might not have taken before because they really connected with them and liked what everything was about. Uh, so right now I've got the guy helping me with social media and I usually wouldn't have any help or support at this time. That was a very long way to answer what your question was, which was about day of. And I'm like, let me tell you about July. Which was no, not I love your it. Question. Those are all great pieces of advice. <laughs> like, let me go back even I'm sorry further. About your house. Oh, no, it's fine. The new one is truly magnificent. It's great. I mean, things are in boxes, so that's annoying. But like when the boxes are gone, I can fully appreciate and enjoy and really <laughs> love it all. Uh, but so day of... I do a lot of different work in town with different festivals. Like I mentioned, the Television Fest. Uh, I moderate for the Austin Film Festival and have for multiple years. So really being connected inside of that community. It's a lot of the same volunteers who will say, do the Television Fest, then South by, then Fantastic Fest. So it's really a lot of the same people just involved in that circuit. So it's getting to know volunteers and spending time with them and being a volunteer myself in the case of the Television Fest and stuff. So really getting to know them and then they come and they will help come and support me right back. And then I will give an hour of my time to them later down the road and have coffee and see how I can help them further their careers and stuff too. Right. So I have a team of people that I trust. I train them up. I give them all kinds of materials. And then I also give them a lot of autonomy, especially in the case of my social media team, for example, where I'm giving them the keys to the castle and giving them full access to my account and profile and everything. They're logged in as create me business. They're functionally, you know, me for the course of those three days, giving them everything so that they feel empowered and more about delegation where it's not micromanaging. So it's more about like, this is the brand voice focus, say, on Twitter, let's do some live tweets, really establishing what it is that we're going for, tell them where they have to be, like, okay, over the course of this two hours, hop into these four different workshops, but you have everything in front of you that you need to go and capture and deliver. I trust that you'll find the right moments to share. And so I also, in my volunteer application, for example, um, I'll ask for things like, what other places have you volunteered at? Festivals? Are you returning back with me again? What have you? Do you do social media, not just for yourself, but have you ever done social media for a brand? And then those who have, I look at some examples and things, and then I allow them to be then on the social media team because it is such a different, uh, it's a different beast entirely to do social media for yourself and then to do so for a different brand where you have to learn how do you speak in somebody else's voice. But really it is just about training and giving over materials. The more information, the better. These are people that are my collaborators. They're not competitors. Even if they're, say, doing similar things in Austin and they're also doing events, amazing. Like if you're giving me your time and you're wanting to be part of this, I still have to provide all of those same tools. It's community. It's not competition, how to help best prepare you for the ultimate experience. And if these are things that you learn and take with you to events that you do or other people's phenomenal. Great. Like, I hope this is a learning environment. I hope you have skill sets and things that you glean from it and keep you know growing and developing. That's the whole point. That's an awesome way to look at it. Thank you. There's room for everybody. Exactly. Yeah. And it's really just about helping people find what really speaks best to them. And if it's not me, okay, great. Like, <laughs> that's fine. Thank you, Nick. So after the event, besides, you know, the postpartum, the postpartum <laughs> yeah. event. Oh my God, like so people, real. So real. I know. And a lot of people think like it's all done. Like that, no. like, it. like you're, you're done. But really, there's so much to be to still be done. Yeah. After the event, and you kind of touched on the fact that you love to do the research. Yeah. But you know, what other kinds of things that people who are thinking like, you know, what I should totally do an event. Like, what do they expect? Like, yeah, yeah, after? yeah, totally. So always thanking everybody who is involved, right? So thanking your sponsors, and that's very likely just an email with thank yous things giving them photos. That is a big piece mm -hmm. of what they're going to want in their recap. Uh, they might want even more things like they might want to know media impressions and other different like what was social media generated and looking like, like what were the conversations like, depending on the level of sponsor really depends on how much really needs to be provided after the fact. But a timely thank you, like usually within a couple, depending again on the size of the event and the scale of it, a couple of weeks out, being able to have those photos back and those thank yous ready. Like I'm a big, just, I create Dropbox folders and I have a folder for every single guide of the photos from their workshops. And I, I also clear it with the photographers first. I get permission and approval for them, the guides to be able to use on their website and their social media as well. 
the license is extended to me and I extend it to them beyond. Again, with the permission and the conversation with the photographer, always make sure because otherwise that's a very awkward conversation if mm-hmm. you have not had that in advance, right? But it is thanking all of them. So with my guides, I also do handwritten thank yous. I do handwritten thank yous to my volunteers. Uh, something that the Television Fest does really, really well. Um, I don't do volunteer thank you parties. I probably should. So they always do like a really awesome volunteer thank you party and they're so timely about getting all their stuff out. So it really is like the the couple of weeks after an event are, I don't want to say the most challenging of everything in the process, but you are wrapping up all those different pieces, uh, taking rentals and other things back, but being timely with your responses to the venues. If you had any sort of sponsorship there, they'll probably want photos as well because they're going to be putting it up on maybe Google or things like that. Other things to think about that are like nice ways to thank thank you that aren't the traditional email or thank you note, Google reviews, especially for venues and places that have like a a physical space of occupancy. So doing Google reviews, uh, LinkedIn reviews are really, really helpful. And those are just things that you're just paying it forward in a sense it was never asked for or expected. But those are things that help that that person that you partnered with in the, the longer term. Okay. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, I know a lot of people are like, it's over. Oh, I can go to bed for a month. No. Like, no. no, you can go to bed that night. Like, nobody expects to hear from you the next day. And if you do, <laughs> like, you're totally fine taking a one-day beat, unless it's somebody that you rented something from, and those are definitely due back, like, very quickly after. So rentals <laughs> are take nice. back. Yeah. Very short reprieve. Yeah, exactly. And, like, the day like the day the event ends, you usually have a very quick loadout. You have to get everything out of it. So you just, like, dump things in your garage or your friend's house or whatever. Uh, but that next day, return all your stuff, and then you can rest. Mm-hmm. So if somebody has a good thing going, like an event or something they put together, at what point do you think or do you think at all that someone can go from having a free event to having an event that has like a cover charge or a fee? Uh, or do you think it's best for people to make it like a separate thing? It really depends on what you're going for. Uh, so I think events are a very hard way to make a, a living to really turn profits off of events. Like there's usually another thing that you're trying to do, like building a brand or something else like that, right? Uh, so I used to do my roundtables for free, but they were never free for me to produce. And so I really had to start charging for them if I was going to keep doing them at all, right? So I, um, the first thing that I ever really ticketed, though, was the first year of the experience. That was never free. It was $100 the first year, $179 the second year, and now it's $249. My goal was to never be over $350. I always want it to be affordable for the community that I'm trying to serve with it. But the reality is, like, my venues, there's a hard cost for them, and there's a lot of costs that plus, like, I also want to get paid for what I do. Thus, mm-hmm. I, I also have been produced for hire for clients and other things, and this is a, what's the word I'm looking for? It's um, it's it's not just like an act of love. I absolutely love the way that the experience is helping people, and it's amazing. Uh, but it is also a goal of mine to be, you know, paid for my time in that sense. Um, so yeah, it's really hard to transition from a free to a paid event because if you've really been spending a lot of time developing an audience and it's all a free audience a lot of them will not continue onward necessarily not to say that it's people just like seeking free like especially if you have free alcohol people might just be coming for an enjoyable time with the alcohol and it might not really be your content so it's really hard to figure out like who actually is your audience so i think having any sort of ticketing fee anything five ten bucks it's also going to make people a more likely to come and actually attend because if it's free, a lot of people love to register and sign up for it and likely are not going to come. You usually have about a 50% turnout rate, if not less than that, actually. Whereas having a ticket cost, more people are actually likely to come and show up. They're more invested. They're more committed. And they're also going to pay more attention to the event itself versus be a little bit more. Um, I mean, I, I think it's just more of a free versus paid. You really don't value things that are free, not, not to the same way that you do if you actually put skin mm-hmm. in the game. Yeah, and then there's lots of evidence to support that in all different kinds of mediums and events. Okay, well, I think that answers all of my hot burning event questions. <laughs> and now I'm feeling like, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I should have gotten that early bird ticket, but I'm still going to get it. I'm one of those like last minute people. Yeah, yeah. But that's fine. I mean, like, that's that people operate in different ways. Some want to do it as soon as they possibly see it, and they want to be able to have it on the calendar and whew, they don't have to worry about it. They've already booked their ticket. It's fine. And then others have, you know, other things that they're waiting to hear for, or it's not even about that, even remotely. And it's just, 
that's that's personality and style and being able to accommodate for all of that is really like something that I'm proud to do. Like one thing I do with the experience is my ticketing partner is pre Kindle. They're based out of Dallas or Fort Worth. And so with them, uh, when somebody buys a badge of the experience, as soon as they buy it, they get this badge code and then they can go on a pre-Kindle and they can pre-register for sessions they know that they want to attend. They will have a guaranteed seat in this so long as they arrive a certain number of minutes before the session begins, right? I only put half of the room up for pre-registration. So let's say that 50 people can sit in the room. I only let 25 people pre-register. That's it. The rest, you have to just wait in line day of, and then you're very likely to get in. But that way, it allows for the person who did not buy a badge till the day before to still have an opportunity to go to things that they want to go to. So it's incentivizing both styles, the person who plans and wants to be able to know their schedule, and then the person who waited a little bit longer and just wants to be able to have a more flexible time and, and go to what they want to go to day of and not make a decision in advance. Oh, that's awesome. I'm curiously nodding. You can't see me. <laughs> I can't see you. No, you turned into a white screen. You're gone. <laughs> Easier on the eyes than the see a thing. But no, that's, that's an amazing tip. You know, I was wondering... I mean, you didn't go through like Eventbrite or any of that. I no, I don't use Eventbrite, so I use pre-Kindle. Uh, the first year I used Eventbrite, and because I very like, I, I'm trying to be mindful to like all the different psychologies of people and really be able to be accommodating to all the ways in which we make our purchasing decisions and make our planning decisions and all that stuff. Which is why I like being able to pre-register, right? So the first year I used Eventbrite, but it was very challenging to then, so you bought a ticket through Eventbrite, right? Then though, to be able to allow you to pre-register, I like hacked a system into my website where they were all private events because otherwise on Eventbrite, you can do three things. You can have a public event that everybody can see. You can have a private event, which is password protected, or you can have a private event, which is everybody who is invited is uh, sent uh, an email to subscribe to it, to be invited to it. The only way I could make it work was if I password protected all 50 workshops, embedded them as widgets inside the website, and then you had to log in to then see it, to then see the password, to then go to Eventbrite. And that was excruciating, both for me and for attendees. And so ever since I found a better solution, which was pre-Kindle, and they actually like have a beautiful way to do it, not this like awful way that I hacked Eventbrite to be able to do what I needed it to do. Uh, so since then, I've just worked with pre-Kindle on it versus using Eventbrite. But Eventbrite, I do use for other things. I use it for the uh, sneak previews. I use it for my year-round stuff, too. Eventbrite is great. It has a lot of different benefits to it, especially if you don't need more features, like I mentioned, with pre-registering and all that type of thing. It's great because Eventbrite sends out curated emails to people like, oh, you like this, you might like these five things. So that's really helpful. It's almost like, you know, free marketing in that sense. And people also go search Eventbrite for cities to be like, oh, what's happening here in Austin? So it's its mm -hmm. own search engine in a sense. And it's a great place to be on versus a lot of other ticketing partners out there because it is very searchable and it's very well used and well recognized. Yeah, I do agree with that because I am that person that peruses Eventbrite, like, what looks good? Yeah. Or, you know, they suggest those things to you and you're like, oh, yeah, you're right. You do know me. <laughs> I know. Yeah, you get, it's a little bit too creepy. It's like, oh, yeah, I am interested in all six of those. Thanks, Eventbrite. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. They are partners with Facebook. That should tell us something. Oh, that does. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, don't know me now. <laughs> All right. So last question, nothing yeah. to do with event planning, Ooh, I'm going to cool. ask everybody, and I'm excited to ask somebody here in Austin, where do you go for queso? Like who has your favorite queso in town? Oh yeah. Yeah. Torchies. Oh, wait, hold on. No, uh -oh. I love the queso fundido over at El Chile. It's delicious, but like that's a different kind of queso. That's not mm -hmm. really probably the queso you mean. I love Torchy's queso if we're just getting like chip and dip, but if I'm going to like roll it inside of a flour tortilla and like do it in that way, which I love, I do the queso fundido from El Chile uh, and then I add chorizo to it and it's so good. Flour tortilla, wrap it up and then add like a little bit of their salsa and like make a little burrito out of it. Yum. I do like a queso. That's a full meal deal. Oh, it's so good. You know what, do you know what fundido is? Yeah. Uh -huh. Okay. Oh, it's so good. It's like the like stringy thick kind, right? Yeah. Like you bring it out like a skillet. Yes, exactly. It's like, like I think it's funny when I talk yeah. to people. I think that's the case that they're most familiar with. Like really? out of state people. Oh, out of state that's... people. Yeah, they don't know about like 
what we call K zoo. Oh, that's yeah. I have to, okay, that, I have to explain it almost every episode to people. <laughs> no, we should be like doing a better job. Like in the way that we've basically made Topo Chico a thing, we need to make queso exportable to all areas. Nobody should be deprived of queso. It's the it's truly the greatest. I know. I feel so sad when I talk to people and they're just like, "What? Like it's like liquid golden cheese." Yeah, but but then also like, but not nacho cheese from a ballpark. Like really delicious tasting cheese that also has like rotel and tomato and like deliciousness and usually hatch green chilies, which is why I like torchies so much. Exactly. Well, all things torchies are delicious. So. Torchies, yeah, it's great. Pretty yummy. <laughs> well, now that I'm hungry. <laughs> I know, right? It's like now that I'm salivating and I'm gonna go get some queso. Exactly. So I'm gonna go edit this amazing episode yeah. as I go towards the some queso. <laughs> well, I will so I will much. eat them in spirit along with you. Right? Yeah. Well thank you so much for stopping by and hanging out. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Can't wait awesome. to hear it. All right, bye bye. Bye. I'm really hoping that Ashlyn Viscosi will be hosting an event planning workshop at the Creatives Meet Business Experience because I know I, for one, would be all kinds of signed up. The Creatives Meet Business Experience is taking place this September 19th through 21st and features 50 hands-on workshops that put a new spin on professional development. CMBXP also includes one-on-one mentorship opportunities as well as nightly themed happy hours that are truly epic. Hello, Caftans and Queso. You know how I love a good themed happy hour. Count me in. Badges are available at cmbxp.com. Use discount code CREATIVEQUESO and save $50. If you love this episode of Creative Queso, please be sure to subscribe so you never miss a thing. Other episodes you might enjoy with event planners include Gabrielle Blair, founder of Alt Summit, Nicole Stevenson of The Patchwork Show and Craftcation, and Anna Victoria Calderon of The Magic Jungle Retreat in Tulum. Thank you again to my guest, Ashland Viscosi. And even if you can't make it to Austin for the experience, you can still listen to Ashland's equally informative podcast, Creatives Meet Business. Thank you to my producer, Mariah Gossett, and my husband, Chris Beck, for the music. And as always, thank you for being here and hanging out. I'll see y'all next time. Same time, same place.